Welcome to the October 10th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, and the sermon is entitled, What is Truth? Delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are going to continue on in a sermon series through the Gospel of John. Today's sermon is entitled, What is Truth? And believe me, this is a word that the world needs to hear about what true truth really is. As we move on in our marathon study through the great gospel of John, I do remind you that this is a very meticulous account of Jesus' life. However, it is not a comprehensive account of Jesus' life. There's no way that John or anyone else could write down everything that Jesus did. In fact, John says in his gospel, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books. And so today, we're thankful for this account that the, the disciple John gives to us. And today, we're in the heart of the gospel. Today, we are in the day of the cross. Today, we're in the day of our salvation. Today, we're studying the day the price was paid in full for our sin that we might have forgiveness and everlasting life. So we are in the heart of the gospel of John where our sin literally is nailed to the cross. We're thankful that we study here. Turn to chapter 18 today. This chapter begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the last private moment before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. And so this is a very important moment for Jesus as he prays at the bottom of his soul and his spirit for God to be glorified in the next hours that he is going to face. In that garden, Jesus is approached by a band of men. It could have been hundreds, we don't know. According to the usage of the word, it could have been up to 600, a cohort of soldiers. But he is approached by a large number of soldiers, and we see Jesus' power as a son of God in John chapter 18, verse 6, when they ask, where is Jesus? And he says, I am he. And with those three words, the power of God knocked all of that cohort of soldiers backward onto their backsides by the very power of God Almighty in the spoken word. God spoke our universe into existence. He has power in His word. There is power in this word. Amen? And there was power in the word as Jesus simply identified himself with three words, I am he. And the entire cohort of soldiers fell backward. Amazing to me. In that moment, Jesus showed his power. He showed his ability to resist arrest. If he so chose not to be arrested, he could have walked away that very moment as all of the soldiers were on their backs. And yet, on the soldier's second attempt... He willingly gave himself up. He surrendered to arrest. He surrendered to the ropes or the chains that would bind him. He surrendered ultimately to the Father's plan, which was going to lead to the old rugged cross. This is the beginning of the surrender that leads to the cross. But I want you to make no mistake about it. Jesus never lost control in this situation. No man overpowered Jesus Christ. But rather, the power of God worked through him. And it is still true today. There is no man, no government, no philosophy that can overpower the strength of Jesus Christ in our world. Don't ever believe that you serve a weak God. 
He is the power that can lay this old earth on its backside anytime he chooses to do so. We serve the God of the universe who reigns in power. Now, as we studied the last couple of weeks, Jesus was first led to the former high priest whose name was Annas. And old Annas, in a fake trial, gave him an informal questioning, hoping to dredge up some words from Jesus that could lead to a penalty of death. But his attempt to trap Jesus failed. He made no headway in incriminating Jesus in any way. So after that informal meeting with Annas, he was then sent to his son-in-law, who was the current sitting high priest in Israel. His name was Caiaphas. Now, although John tells us that Jesus met with Caiaphas, John doesn't give us a running account of what happens in that conversation. We simply know that the current high priest met with Jesus as well in a second trial of the night within the Jewish family. Now, that's where we pick up Scripture today. After he meets with Caiaphas, he's met with Annas, he's met with Caiaphas, he is bound, he's led before these men. Now, where do the next steps lead him? Look with me to John chapter 18. Today, we're going to study uh, verses 18, uh, rather 28 through 40. So, get your Bible out, turn with me to John chapter 18. If you're streaming with us today, get that Bible out, put it on your lap, and hear these words. John 18, begin with verse 28 as we go to the end of the chapter today. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying which death he should die. When Pilate, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I re release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. 
Now, Barabbas was a robber. God, at his blessing to this stirring portion of his holy word, I want you to remember now the night is getting deeper and darker and later. And Jesus, the human Son of God, remember, he is the Son of Man, he is the Son of God. But as the Son of Man in human form, in incarnate form, he feels everything that we feel. He was getting tired, he was getting sleepier, he was getting hungry. He was deprived of so many things through the fake trials as the evening went on, phony charges that were facing him, having to talk to individuals along the way. He was taken from Annas to Caiaphas. Both of these high priests wanted him dead, wanted him murdered. He charged them as hypocrites. He charged them as fakes and phonies, and all of the teachers and all of the priests of the temple were teaching the Word of God, but they didn't know the God of the Word. And he had leveled that charge against the priesthood of Israel, and they wanted him dead. They wanted him gone to get that Word out from them, accusing them of being dead in the faith. But both of these men, Annas and Caiaphas, knew that in order to bring Jesus to a capital punishment charge, he had to go before the Roman government. He had to appear before Pilate there in order to have a death sentence seated in Jerusalem. Now, verse 28, the first verse that I read is very interesting. Look at it again. 1828, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves, talking about now these priests, they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. That's an interesting verse because it says that the Jewish leaders withheld themselves going into the Gentile court where Pilate would be, where the judgment hall would be. But I want you to notice what Scripture says here, that these Jewish men did not enter the Gentile hall or they would be considered unclean and they would not be able to eat the Passover meal that was upcoming. And so they couldn't celebrate the Passover. Think about that. There's no hesitation here to commit murder against the Lamb of God, but they wanted to stay ceremonially clean so they could eat the Lamb of the Passover. There's a great irony in that. They're willing to murder, but they didn't want to go into the hall and not be able to celebrate a Passover. It's a sad statement. Basically, what the Bible is telling us right here is that these men were trying to be religious. And yet they had murder in their heart against the very Son of God, trying to be religious. But in order to kill Jesus, they would need for the governor Pilate, seated in Jerusalem, the Roman Empire, seated there to sentence Jesus to die. So they ultimately have to get Jesus before the Roman governor of Pilate in order to attain a death sentence that they wanted so badly to murder this man and get the Son of God off of the face of the earth. Pilate finally comes out. He comes from his chambers as Jesus stands there. Remember, he is bound before him in ropes or chains. The creator of heaven and earth, the God of no boundaries, bound before Pilate. Willingly, surrendered to be so, bound before the Roman governor, accepting his own ropes and chains. And Pilate immediately looks at the Jewish leaders and asks, why is he here? 
What has this man done that you bring him before me? What is his crime? What are his charges? Does he really deserve death? This late at night meeting and you bring me out of my bedroom and bring me to my chambers that I might sentence this man to death? What has he done that has been so heinous that you would bring him to me this late hour of the night so that I could sentence death upon him? What are his charges? Look at John 18.30. Here's what the priests say. They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Basically, what they give him is no answer at all. They don't bring any charges. They don't bring any, anything that he would be able to die for or be able to be sentenced to death for. So these leaders give this weak non-existent answer to Pilate. Pilate asks, what's the accusation? And in essence, what they say is, well, we wouldn't have brought him here unless he was a criminal. But they don't give any reason for him to die. They didn't have a solid charge. Well, Pilate was not a dummy. Pilate's a very astute, intelligent man. He recognizes this non-answer. And he says, you deal with this man according to your own law. In other words, look in your Bible, which we would know as the Old Testament. Look in your Old Testament law, and you deal with him according to your law of the Jews. Leave him out of the Roman law. Let me go back to bed. I don't need to have any connection with this uh, charge whatsoever. You deal with him as you want to. He knows their hatred. He knows they want him murdered. He knows they want him sentenced. But the Jewish leaders answer back and say, No, no, he deserves death, and only you can sentence him to death. We need your help here. We need your sentence here. I want you to notice something that John the Gospel writer interjects in his gospel. It's in verse 32. The Jewish priests did have an authority to sentence Jesus. They could have sentenced him to death by stoning. That was the Jewish capital punishment was the punishment of stoning. We know that. We see it in the life of Stephen. We saw it in the life of the woman who was caught in adultery. Stoning was capital punishment of the Jews in that day. But God had prophesied that Jesus was not going to die of stoning. He was going to die on a tree. Write this reference down. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Listen to these words. Here's a prophecy from the beginning of the Old Testament. It says this, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he shall be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. You will notice it says that the death is going to take place on a tree, and he's not going to hang there overnight. All of that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. He's going to be on the cross, and he's going to be dying on that very day. He's going to be buried on that very day. So we see in Deuteronomy chapter 21 the prophecy that God is going to see that man cursed of sin dying on a tree. The Son of God will die on a tree under that curse. Jesus himself would not be stoned down, but according to his own words in John 3, 14, he would be lifted up. Not stoned down, but lifted up by the old rugged cross. Now listen, you have to understand this. God is controlling 
God is directing the course of our salvation. God is in control as to how his son is going to die. And when his son is going to die, it would be at exactly the precise moment that is on God's calendar set centuries and eons before. It would happen that very moment by God's design and God's wisdom. God simply allowed Pilate to be the human vessel to make the cross happen. But God never loses control in the event of the cross. Amen? God never loses control. Man never took over the course of our salvation. God is always having his hands on the, on the will that he is expressing through his son. He is always going to do the right thing. But now Pilate approaches Jesus directly in his judgment hall, the judgment hall of the Gentiles. And he asks in verse 33, Are you truly king of the Jewish nation? This question of Pilate is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Are you truly the king of the Jews? But Pilate doesn't expect what Jesus says next. Jesus asks him a question. Basically, the question is this. Is this your personal question? Or did others say that of me? Where did that question come from, Pilate? So interestingly enough, as he is in front of Pilate for questioning, he's the one who turns the tables and questions Pilate. In fact, next week we're going to carry on in this conversation and we're going to, the, we're going to talk about this conversation that they have, not as the trial of Jesus, but rather the sermon title is the trial of Pilate. So Jesus is turning the table, asking him questions. Now, another way to phrase that question is this. What kind of king, Pilate, do you think I am? What is your opinion of who I am as king? And all of a sudden, this man who is bound, seemingly helpless in ropes or chains before Pilate, turns the table and he puts Pilate on the seat of trial. Do you think I'm a Roman king? Do you think I'm a Jewish king? What's your opinion of who I am? And Pilate here is thrown off balance. He never had a question like that leveled toward him. He has to give Jesus an answer. So Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. I don't know who you are. All I know is that your Jewish people brought you here. But what have you done to deserve death? You need to pick up here that Pilate is very uneasy. He's out of his element. He's... Facing a man he's never faced before. He's not comfortable in the presence of this man who is standing bound before him. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus answered, asking now Pilate, saying, What have you done? What have you done to deserve death? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So Jesus is saying, I'm not in competition with you, Pilate. I'm not trying to take your throne. I'm not trying to take your place. You have a kingdom in this world. My kingdom is really not here in this world at all. I'm not bringing an army to fight you. I'm not trying to resist you. I really have no interest in your crown. I have no interest in your throne. Now, Pilate is really confused. He's really uncomfortable. Here's a man who claims to be king, but not an earthly king. 
And he blurts out in John 18, 37, Are you a king then? He really doesn't know who this man is, and he's trying to figure him out. And Jesus' answer could only come from God. Look at verse 37, John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus explains himself. He said, Yes, I'm a king. Yes, Pilate. I was born on this earth to be a king. I came to this world for that position. But I don't want your place in Jerusalem or Judea. I don't want the throne you sit on. That's not my throne at all. I was born to this office to bear witness to the truth and the power of God Almighty. I don't want a throne of power. I want a throne of the heart. I want people to know me as Lord and God and Savior. I want to rule every heart that longs for the truth. Now, that's an important word. Circle, underline the word truth. What is truth? But in this written word, we see Pilate asking in verse 38 a theologically, uh, a theologically contested statement. Look in verse 38. Pilate says three words to Jesus. What is truth? Now, the problem theologically that we face here is we don't know the inflection of his voice when he asks that question. Does he ask it sarcastically? What is truth? Or does he ask it with a searching heart? What really is truth? He didn't know what the truth was at that moment. We don't know exactly what Pilate's attitude is right in this moment, but we know this. There was something deep down in Pilate that says, do not kill this man. Do not sentence this man to death. It is a wrong, wrong decision to send this man to the cross, and he knows it. He knows it in the depth of his soul that he is dealing with someone who is very special here. He had never met an individual like this. He had never met someone who had turned the tables on him like this. He had never met a man who proclaimed to be a king but not an earthly king. He didn't have it all figured out yet, but something deep down in him said, do not sentence him tonight. It's a wrong, horrible decision. Pilate goes out to his public portico to address all the people, most of them Jewish, standing out there as they stand in his courtyard. And he says, I find no fault in this man. I find nothing in him that would send him to a cross. There is no crime for which to kill him. He's done nothing to merit that punishment. I find no fault in him. Now look at verses 39 and 40. Pilate has one more ace up his sleeve to get out of this bind to spare this man that he knows he should never sentence. Look at 39 and 40. But ye have a custom. Remember now he is talking to a Jewish audience off of his portico to the crowd. Ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So he brings up a Jewish custom. 
get the lowest, meanest criminal out of the lowest jail cell in Jerusalem and bring him forward because they had a custom at Passover to release one into the crowd who had been incarcerated. So he brings Barabbas and compares him to Jesus, this man who proclaims to be a king, not an earthly king, but a king from God. And certainly he believes that the Jews are going to let the lesser criminal go free. He thinks he's going to be scot-free when he brings up Barabbas, and yet they let Jesus go. You see, the, 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 the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees have been stirring up the crowd out there to kill this man who had threatened the priesthood. So they bring Barabbas, thinking he would be free, that he would be uh, killed in the stead of Jesus. It did not happen. It says that Barabbas was a robber. Other translations that you might have says he was a revolutionary. The Greek word is lestis, and it means a violent, murderous man. Calls him a robber. Well, a petty thief, a common robber uh, in the day in Greek was kleptos. You can hear kleptomania in that. But he was much more hardened than a simple robber. He was a murderer. So Pilate thought, sure, they were going to keep the murderer in prison and let Jesus, this man who has no charge against him, go free. It did not happen. During the trial, the priests and the Pharisees had stirred up the crowd, and they called for Jesus to be killed. And with that call for Jesus' life on the cross, we end today. But his time with Pilate is not over yet. And we're going to see how the interchange with Pilate goes next week in the sermon. As they release Barabbas, Jesus is still before Pilate, still facing the sentence of death. Well, as I draw the sermon together, it all comes down to the question that Pilate asks Jesus. What is truth? What is the absolute baseline of truth in human life? I think it's important that we all consider that. What is the baseline of truth? People who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior believe that truth is the very best that we can have in life. They're like Pilate. They believe living in the biggest palace, having the most money, having the most earthly power, that's truth. Having all the bodily pleasure in the world, that's the truth. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the truth of life, that we're to attain all of that. Do you remember the line? I thought of this as I was preparing this sermon, the line from the movie Titanic when this young man and young lady had met on the boat, and she's a rich girl, and he's a poor boy, and he is on this luxurious liner cutting through the ocean, and she's by his side, and he is standing on the very tip of the bow of the Titanic as the wind is in their hair, and he, he stands and he leans into the wind, and he holds up his arms, and he said, I'm the king of the world! You remember it? Your faces don't show me you remember it. <laughs> That's the way a lot of people live. The most ornate, the most money, the most things of life, that makes us the king of the world. And Jesus turns the tables and says, no. True riches, true living, the baseline of life is knowing me, living for me, giving your life to me. He tells us in Matthew 6, 19, 
that the things of the world will be eaten up by moths or consumed by rust or stolen by thieves. Everything we have in the world, when we're the king of the world, when we're there, it's all going to go away one day. It will never come back to us. It will be lost for all eternity. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a home and you have a bank account and some things in your life, that's not sin. But it's perspective that we have to think about. What rules your life? What is your God? What gives you meaning? What gives you joy? What gives you direction in life? Here's the point. Keep it all in the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't invest your life in temporary stuff. I say that to this congregation. I say to the world, don't invest your life in temporary stuff because it's all one day going to be completely gone, never to return again. The truth and the baseline of life is live in Jesus Christ. Allow him to be your Savior and allow him to be your Lord and your Master that you're following him because he is the truth that Pilate asked about. His word is the cornerstone of truth. This is truth written in black and white. Live by this word. Live by the Savior living in your heart. Invest your life in him. It's the one investment in your life that will bring eternal reward. All other investments are going to end, but the investment in Jesus Christ will bring eternal reward. Live in him. Live for him. Believer, no matter what you do or have in life, he is worthy to live for him and him alone. I pray today that we believers here in the house and all over will rededicate our lives to making him our truth. Living for him is the baseline of life. It's nice to have the stuff that we have in this world, but that's going to be temporary. But investing your life in him is going to be eternal. If you give your heart to him as Lord and Savior, you have an eternal home. If you give, his, your, give him your life in ministry, you're going to have eternal reward. The Lord is going to recognize what we've done for him to his glory for all eternity. Not for our glory. We don't wear the crown to bring attention to ourselves. We cast our crown to him that we were able to give him glory in this life. Live for him. Make him your baseline. Make him your truth. Believer. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this day, if you don't have a relationship with him, then I want you to listen to these closing words of this sermon. If you don't know him as your Savior, he is the truth. He is the truth, not a truth, not worthy to be followed. He is the truth to be followed. There is no other truth aside from him. The decision to accept him as Lord and Savior is the one eternal decision you can make to invest your life in Jesus Christ as your master and to live in his footsteps day by day. His sacrifice on the cross forgives you. He took your place and my place on the old rugged cross that we might be forgiven. He shed his blood rather than mine or yours that we might be forgiven. He rose from the grave as the firstborn of the living that we might be assured that we too will have eternal life with him. And our life of faith right now one day will become a life of sight as we live with Jesus and see him face to face. 
If you need him, he's waiting for you to come. He's done all he can do to move heaven and earth that you might come and simply say yes to him. If you need him, it's not a decision for tomorrow or next month or when you're old or when you're in a deathbed or when you feel better or when you know the Bible better. The decision is for today, this moment, this hour, this moment that we come before him to pray. If you've never received him as your Savior, this is the day and this is the time to make him your truth. It's the only truth that is truly true in the world. I pray if you're home listening by stream, you can make that decision for Jesus Christ right now, this moment, wherever you are in the world, to accept him as your Lord and your Savior. To say, Lord, I am a sinner. The Bible teaches us in Romans 3.23 that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. But Lord, I believe that you took my sin on your shoulders as the perfect Lamb of God to your cross and you died in my place to forgive me. I accept you as my Savior. And I ask, Lord, that my heart be open, that you come to live in me and that I will follow your footsteps, not just for the rest of my life, but for all eternity because I belong to you. Invest your life in him. It's the one eternal investment you can make. Believers, I pray that we will join together to make him our truth and live for him every day. Today, if you need him as your Savior, this is the moment to accept him. Church home, whatever the need, healing, whatever the need, he meets us here. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these moments, Lord. I thank you that as we come before you right now, Lord, you are meeting with us and you are speaking to our minds and touching our hearts to give us the guidance and the direction we need. As believers, Lord, I pray that we will be further surrendered to you day by day. Lord, help us to invest our lives in that which is permanent, that which is eternal. Help us to live for you. Help us to minister for you. Help us to use our talents to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in this world. For that one who needs you as Lord and Savior, there's not a better day, there's, never, there's not going to be a better minute than right now to say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior and accept him. Lord, I pray for that one who needs a healing, a need, a church home, whatever it is. Bless us in this special moment of decision and rededication in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.